Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Today we are in the book of Ephesians, right? We are in the book of Ephesians. Yes. I'm excited about that. So why should we care about the book of Ephesians, Seth? We should care about the book of Ephesians for several reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Many reasons. (laughs) Many reasons. Let me count the ways. Uh, The book of Ephesians is about like a cosmic rupturing of the universe. Yeah. We have been ruptured from our relationship with the cosmos itself. Mm. We've been ruptured from our relationship with God. We've been ruptured from our relationship to one another, yeah. between races, between husband, wife, family, parent, between mm. <laughs> all think of all the categories. Yeah. In any way that we can be ruptured, we experience disruption and disunity in most areas of our life. Mm. And the book of Ephesians comes in and it kind of tells us Jesus comes to reconcile all the different ways the universe has been broken. Okay. I want to, I want to talk about that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, okay. So, oh my goodness. That's like a, that's such a big category it to, is. to talk about. Okay. So why is Ephesians about that? <laughs> like what, what cues us in to that being Ephesians main focus? Well, in verses nine to 10, uh, this is kind of some scholars will say, and i Believe I believe I agree with them. <laughs> some uh, of them. Some of them. Uh, it says verses nine and ten says this. Um, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth mm. under Christ. The thesis statement for the book of Ephesians is to bring all things together in unity under Christ. And that word fulfillment, the phrase is translated in my NIV, when the time the times reach their fulfillment. Uh-huh. It's kind of a strange phrase in Greek, but it's probably more accurately represented as like, as all things reach their fulfillment or are fulfilled. Yeah. And the idea is that Jesus is the fulfillment. Okay, yes. Not just that he is the way in which all things are unified. Mm-hmm, that is true, mm-hmm. and we'll see how that's true in the book of Ephesians. But Jesus himself is the like essential unity by which all things will find themselves whole once again, once after they've been broken. Okay. And then and more specifically, um, I know it talks about like th- this this mystery of God's will that at the fullness of time has been revealed in Jesus Christ to bring all unity to all things. Specifically, Paul drills in on this letter on the schism, the division, the rupture, you said, yeah. between Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. And in fact, Paul says uh, it explicitly in Ephesians 3, 6. He says, this mystery is that. So like, here it is. He's going to lay it out. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles yes. are now co-heirs with the Jews. That's yeah. the division that's being... Yeah, healed. This, yeah, the the one of the central ruptures that is solved by the gospel is the division between Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about that, yeah. it, well, 
that's basically what we want to talk about for most of this episode. Yes, a large so. part of it. A large part what of it. I th- think is fascinating is how paul's own personal history yeah. plays into the fact that that's what he's talking about so right ephesians information about ephesus that yes. you might want to know <laughs> uh, ephesus was a large city mm-hmm. cosmopolitan city known for the worship of artemis mm. you can read things about it but more yeah. the things you should be reading about it to help you understand this book are in the book of acts are in the book of acts <laughs> yeah. and so paul spent about three years there yeah it was one of like the 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 center focuses of his foreign ministry. He said he preached daily in the halls of Tyrannus until the whole of Asia Minor heard the gospel. <laughs> so just, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Paul goes hard, man. He goes hard. <laughs> um, and uh, we talked about this in our Colossians podcast about mm. he raised up Epaphras, a church planner, and then Epaphras planted the church in Colossae right. and Hierapolis and uh, Laodicea. Yeah. A lot happened while he was there. And one of the things that happened, there was a huge riot. Yes, which you can read there. about next. And I've, I've, I've been to Ephesus. Have you been to Ephesus? No, no I didn't know you've been to Ephesus. Yeah, and I sat in the the circus oh. where the riot would have taken place. I didn't know Paul went to a circus. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like the big like amphitheater, you know, yes, yes. Where, the, where the riot took place. I sat there and I read Whoa. the book of Ephesians. Well, that's, it was pretty cool. I mean, it's, You're pretty cool, Seth. It's pretty cool, guys. I know, I'm pretty <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. Uh, it was awesome, actually. So cool. You see the sea over there? You just, it was like, oh, this is where it happened. So he was preaching the gospel. People rioted. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Yeah. And uh, particularly, it was was it the, it was the Jews in, like, the was it the Jews of Ephesus? Well, or was it everybody? Uh, well, in this uh, particular path, uh-huh. in the, uh, Acts 17, it's the the Artemis worshippers. Oh, right, yeah. Because they make their whole business making idols of Artemis. Oh, that's the, spell- that's the one where people get mad because he's he, people are like going to throw away their idols, and so yes. the I, the silversmiths are going to be without a job. Right. Yeah. So they start throwing a riot, and that whole thing happens. There's, right. a, there's a deep tension between the gospel and Eph- Ephesians already in the yeah. background. But even like personally for Paul's life, the reason Paul's imprisoned at the end of his life mm-hmm. is for this exact issue of Jew and Gentile inclusion yes. and like ending the disruption. Yes. So on his final missionary journey, he departs from the city of Ephesus and he kind of has this like famous talk with the elders of Ephesus. They're going to like, they t- they beg him not to go to Jerusalem because they just know he's going to be persecuted there, but he says he's going to go anyway. And so he sets off, but like hot on his trail are some are some Jews from Ephesus and they are following him in order to like sow seeds of discord when he arrives in Jerusalem. And so when he arrives in Jerusalem, this Jew from Ephesus starts spreading false rumors that Paul had taken Gentiles into the temple uh, into the temple past the wall that was supposed to separate Jews and Gentiles. Like there was this wall that, that like there was an outer court of the Gentiles where Gentiles yeah. were allowed to go the closest they could get to the temple. Yeah. And there was an inner court uh, like, and there was a wall in between and there was a sign on that wall that basically said like, if you're a Gentile and you cross this wall, you're going to die. And so this Jew from Ephesus started spreading false rumors that Paul had taken Gentiles past that dividing wall. So a couple things to know. Yeah. One, so you have tension from the Artemis worshiper side mm-hmm. saying this gospel is no good. And then you have tension from the Jewish side saying Paul's gospel is no good because he's <laughs> supposedly bringing Jew- Gentiles past this Je- Jewish barrier, Gentile Jewish barrier. Right. Couple, w- one important thing that wasn't a part of like God's original design for the temple. Mm. Like there wasn't supposed to be a division between Jew and Gentile. In nope. the temple, right? There wasn't a. There's not a court of the Gentiles in the tabernacle plans of Exodus. So the Jews, in their long history of having a temple, had erected an additional wall, an additional barrier for Gentiles to gain access to God's presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And when Paul is accused of bringing somebody past that barrier, a Gentile past that barrier, everyone gets up in arms, and that's why the Rome arrests him. Yeah, so the, uh, so there's this big riot kind of echoing the riot that happened in Ephesus. There's a big riot in Rome because of this false information that this Jew from Ephesus had spread. And the Roman guards end up like grabbing Paul out of the riot and riding him off to a place where he can be safe. And Paul um, makes his case to the Jews first in, in Jerusalem that he did not bring Gentiles into the court and says like, but even if I did, they should be included anyway because of the gospel. Uh, but they freak out. And so they have to take his case to a higher court. And so they go to the center of Roman power in the area. And he sees a, like the governor Felix, I think first. Mm-hmm. I mean, he spends years, years and like years Felix, of his yeah, life. Governor Felix dies. Another governor takes over. He tells him the case until finally that governor says, forget it. Paul Paul appeals to Caesar, and so Paul is then sent on a ship all the way to the center of Roman power, Rome itself. And then on the way to that Rome, he shipwrecked, <laughs> shipwrecked. on Malta yes. for a period of time. And, and then when he finally arrives in Rome, he's under house arrest. He's under house arrest waiting for his time before Caesar. So it's quite possible that in Ephesians, Paul is rehearsing the speech that he's going to give to Caesar himself about how... His, about how like Jews and Gentiles, there shouldn't be a, a, a division between them, and so really the like even though the charges against him are false, they yeah. should be dropped because they have no ground theologically. I did not know that about Ephesians before studying it this time. I've yeah, preached through Ephesians before. I've like done stuff in Ephesians, but I did not realize like the last. I mean, five, six, seven years of Paul's life leading up to it, he died in Roman a Roman prison, right? Yes. So yeah, tradition he, holds that. Like yeah, so like he. The last decade of his life was spent arguing for Jew and Gentile inclusion in the yes. covenant of God. Because of a moment in his life where he was accused of bringing Gentiles past the dividing wall into Jewish territory. Crazy. Which, like, all his ministry was about that, like, bringing Gentiles past a metaphorical wall of inclusion. Right. And it wasn't until he did it physically or was accused of doing it physically in, in Jerusalem that it all blew up. And so, I mean, it's crazy. His whole life and his whole ministry really culminated in bringing Jews and Gentiles together. And what's, I mean, so that's the, that's the historical context of what's happening here. Yeah. But that also plays into like the broader story of the entire Bible. Yes. Because it's like one of the things I remember thinking about when I was reading this whole thing and like hearing sermons about the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and their reconciliation was, I was just like, what's the big deal? Like, why is it such a big deal that Jews and Gentiles are now both included in the people of God? I just, it, it you know, I just, it, yeah, it's, it's always like, never seen it, like that. Were the, was it just racial tension? That right. Needed, like, that's everyone, important, yeah. but like, this is a big, it seems like a bigger than even racial yes. tension. And so I was like, okay, yeah. let's think about that. And yeah. that's kind of what you're hinting at here is like, there's this broad biblical story happening and like a quick survey I think would be really helpful yeah. to where it's like, this division goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. That like, when yeah after the fall happens there's a split in humanity between god's chosen line the 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 children of of eve mm-hmm. and then the children of the serpent god's unchosen people cain and abel cain and abel seth yes. and lamech yeah yeah why do you have to throw yourself in there I seth mean, you know he's the, he's the third son of adam <laughs> <laughs> and so that just gets repeated all throughout the first 11 chapters of genesis and then the rest of Genesis, in fact, the rest of the, the Old Testament story follows that that chosen line of right. Israel. Abraham.
Abraham is the first family within that chosen line. Yep. And what does God say to Abraham? He makes a promise to Abraham that through you, through you, Abraham, this chosen line, actually all the world will be blessed. Even people outside of this chosen line will one day be blessed. Yeah, and that's the mystery that uh, Israel seems to have, have missed. Like, it doesn't seem yes. like that big of a mystery when we read it now, but they had missed it, where it was like the, the original purpose of God choosing Abraham out of all the families of the earth was to eventually include yes. all nations, all races, all people in God's family. Yep. So that's been his plan from the beginning. It's not like when Jesus came, God was like, you know what? I'm going to do something new. No. <laughs> and even in Moses, when the law was built, it has all the, uh, was made, it has all these references to people that are not ethnically Jewish right. or from the descent of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Even when they go into the land of Canaan and start doing battles, who's one of the first converts? A person from Canaan, Rahab. Oh, right. Like a prostitute, yeah. The prostitute Rahab becomes one of the first people of faith in the new land of Canaan. Yep. There's a history throughout scripture of people not a part of the line of... Uh, the physical lineage of Abraham yes. being included in the blessings of the physical lineage of Abraham. Yeah. And the point that's hinted out through all of scripture is that actually it's always been about faith in God mm-hmm. more so than fin- physical descendancy, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing I'm still missing yeah. in this is like, okay, I get the narrative. Yeah. I get that there is a difference in this chosen line of Eve that you can be grafted into through faith mm-hmm. and then the unchosen, you know, Gentiles. And, and, oh, it'd be helpful to say the word Gentiles just means nations. Anybody else that's not from the family of Abraham. <laughs> it yeah. just means nations. Yeah. <laughs> All the other nations, the rest of the world, those are Gentiles. Okay. Um, I'm like, the the division, I'm like, it it started with like a spiritual battle. Like, you know, like it started mm-hmm. with... The yeah. serpent, right? And it's the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman, and it was like this cosmic spiritual upheaval, and it and it happened at a place where heaven and earth were one right. in the Garden of Eden. The Garden yeah. of Eden was a place where heaven and earth were one, where man and God could be together, and man and woman were loving each other in the way that they were supposed to. So it was like in Eden, you had no division, like right. we've talked about at the no beginning, rupturing. no yeah. rupturing. You had complete unity. And then with sin, when sin came into the world, it created rupture. It created rupture between God and man because now we can't be near God, which created a division between heaven and earth because now heaven and earth aren't dwelling together in the Garden of Eden. They're separated. Now we have to wait for that return. Uh, It created a rupture between um, man and woman. Yes. You know, husband and wife. Yeah. Like that, the curse sin has infected marriages Mm -hmm. and our relation with the opposite sex and like all this stuff. And so... I'm just like I think, yeah. and then and then it it affects like how nations you know work together, yeah. Jew and Gentile. Like I mean, I, I just think of the the opposition and the and like the hate between Jew and Gentile that we read about through the Bible, like Pharaoh, the mm-hmm. way Pharaoh treated the Jews. Like, yeah, and it's not wrong to like spiritualize the conflict between Jews and Gentiles historically. Mm-hmm. So like the like. John mm. in his apocalypse, the book of Revelation, yeah. he'll actually go back 
and look over all of history yeah. and what what he'll say it's he'll he'll spiritualize it with this metaphor of a woman with a dragon at her <laughs> hips it's a yeah. really strange passage it's revelation 13 but he says the whole history of the people of God mm. has been that we've been trying to give birth to the Messiah, the woman who's yeah. giving birth. Right. And then there's been this dragon, this serpent, this beast, this demonic power that's tempted to swallow it whole. Mm-hmm. But God rescues the woman away until another battle, until another day. Mm. So he spiritualizes the whole of Israel's li- li- like yeah, lifespan, yeah. saying there's been this spiritual conflict happening between the nations and between Jews in that is also demonically energized at the same time. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, why do we need to know about demons and serpents, the book of Revelation for the <laughs> book of Ephesians? Well, it's really important because the last part of the book of Ephesians talks about this armor of God. Oh, and I've always yeah. thought about that as like a strange addendum, like, oh, and put on the armor of God. Yeah. Spiritual warfare. Why not? Why not? I'm like, well, yeah, he's talking about a whole bunch of other stuff. It's why like, not? Clearly, this is a spiritual, a spiritualized book. And it's like, a, Ephesians will talk constantly about the powers and principalities talking about demons and rulers and yes. it talks about the heavenly places and spiritual powers and yeah, this like, is not this foreign is to the book of too. Ephesians. You were dead in the, your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us living among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following our desires, but deserving you know, yeah. by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but but because of God's great love he raises up to sit with him in the heavenly places like crazy there is not you cannot talk about the division between Jew and Gentile with without also talking about the division and the rupture between the cosmic forces of yes. this world so indulge me one one, yeah. fur, one yeah. further point because I'm, I'm starting to put things together that I don't think yeah. I've ever been able to put together so um the, the, the thing that caused division between heaven and earth, God and man, man and man, man and woman, nation and nation, right, was sin. Mm-hmm. Sin entered the equation, and that caused a rupture. Yeah. So God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose one line. I'm going to choose someone mm-hmm. out of this chaos, and I'm going to use them to conquer sin, to like mm-hmm. operate outside yeah. of the dominion of sin, to heal the world. To like bring justice and peace again, unity again, conquer division, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yet that project failed and failed and failed and failed. Um, and so like when w- what Jesus is doing here that Paul's talking about in Ephesians is Jesus is finally conquering the sin problem that causes division itself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because Jew and Gentile, that division has never been successful in doing what it was supposed to do. Right. Which was to clean up sin. Yeah. Abraham as a man was supposed to be one man that would save all of mankind. Yeah. Israel as a nation was supposed to be one nation that saved all people. But the reason they kept failing isn't because God wasn't powerful enough to right. make it happen. Yeah. It was because the people in whom God was entrusting this mission mm. continued to either fail or fall short of it. Right. So there needed to be one man to save all mankind, to bring all this together who could not be stained by the sins of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And that person is Jesus. Yeah. He he got he, he he conquers the sin problem. Yes. Because and and we'll see this maybe this is a good time to say this that uh, the structure of Ephesians kind of communicates clearly the point I think we want to make here. That the first half of Ephesians is is all like orthodoxy and theology. Like mm-hmm. what who are you? What has God done? What is the gospel? Yeah. And then the back half 
of Ephesians is all like, so then what do you do? What's the call on your life? How do you respond? And I think that is the point being made here is since Jesus has died for our sins and has made us right with God and has like absorbed the wrath that we deserve, we then become people who can live apart from the sin that has caused all this division in the world that we no longer have to have Cain and Abel moments. We no longer have to have Egypt and Israel moments, right? Like he, he, he's, Jesus has come to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth mm. to bring fullness and completeness to everything in heaven and on earth. Mm-hmm. Apart from Christ, everything tends towards disruption. Yeah. Everything tends towards rupture. Everything tends towards disunity. And for the first time after Christ, because of his Holy Spirit, we can now begin to act in a way as if all things are being brought to a head, being fulfilled in Christ, being one again. Heaven mm-hmm. and earth meet in us. We're the temple, right? Yes, yes, yes. God's Holy Spirit lives in a body. That hasn't happened since Eden. Right. Like that's a, right. That's a big deal. Yeah. Heaven it's and earth coming together. Coming together in us. Yeah. We are walking in the earth and being a part of his new Garden of Eden project. Like yeah. something new is happening in humanity now that Paul wants to unpack for us mm. in the book of Ephesians. And, and we had this problem. We've had this problem before when we talk about Ephesians. Ephesians is so big. It is. It, not in its length. No, it's six in, chapters. In its, in its categories. <laughs> it's categories, yeah. The categories are so big. We're talking about a cosmic battle that spans all of history. We're yeah. talking about a mystery from the before time began <laughs> to include Jew and Gentile. We're talking about the fullness of Christ somehow, according to verse 23, which dwells in us, which causes us to act in fullness and in unity mm. with everyone around us. It's cosmic. It's big. It's cosmic. Yeah. Yes, and so it's like this, and it makes sense then why Paul would constantly in Ephesians talk about a mystery. Yeah. Like it just feels like yeah. a mystery. Yeah. And I think what, what Paul constantly says is that mystery is solved in Christ. And so if we want to understand the mystery of Ephesians, if we want to understand what God has been up to from before the beginning of time, we need to meditate and focus on Jesus. Okay, so that's the co- the cosmic context of the book of <laughs> Ephesians. I can't even talk about a canonical context nope. or a literary context. It's just the cosmos. Ephesians wants to not change like your theology on one thing. It wants to change the way you view the entire universe. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's it's it's, it's grabbing for a lot. And and I well we we kind of want to. I feel like we're still discovering yes. the depths of Ephesians, even as we're talking about it on air. So what we want to do is we want to jump into Ephesians 2, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I've read a portion of it already. It's one of the most famous passages yes. of scripture, uh, period. Yeah. And it picks up this idea of fullness or the Christ being uh, the one through whom all things are unified. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're just going to read it slowly and then talk about why this passage right here Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, solves the problem of rupture in the Mm. cosmos. So, as for you, referring to Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the, uh, followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, including Gentiles and Jews, 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, yeah. So I want to stop there. Yes. So a few things I'm picking up on now that we are kind of laying out this broader context Mm -hmm. is how much genealogical language he uses here. We're talking about this genealogy. We're talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're talking about a seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. He's like, you want to know what genealogy you come from, regardless of who you are? You are sons of Adam? No. Sons of Cain? No. Abraham? Sons of disobedience. Hmm. You're sons of disobedience. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. You're you're a son of disobedience. Who's your great who's your great great granddad? He goes on to say, like, you are a slave of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. You are under the control and in the dominion of the king of darkness. That's helpful. That's actually really helpful. Yeah. As I've been reading, as I'm reading this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, what, what, what kind of a child are you? Are you a child of Eve or are you a child of the nations? No, you're a child of wrath, it says. Like, all of us are. All of Everybody. Everybody. There's a universal problem that has plagued both Jews and Gentiles. And it's the sin problem that we are dead mm-hmm. in our trespasses and sins and that we are serving the wrong king. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look through church history, the, the, historically what ends up happening, Jews said, no, the Gentiles are the problem. Keep them out of the temple. <laughs> right. And then just fast forward a little bit past the Reformation. And what did, what did the reformers say? The Jews are the problem. Mm. Make sure, like, there's a ton of anti-Semitism in the church because yep. why? They're the ones who killed Jesus. Like, <laughs> Gosh, you, know, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, totally, yeah. There is a way in which we want to pass the blame on some other group. Right. It's like, no, Paul's saying all of us are children of disobedience. Yep. There's no chosen line um, in that sense. There's we're all. Ch- there's a sense in which we've all been disobedient to the point of death. Yes. Um, yep. and, yeah. and I'm curious, too, if Paul has specifically Jews in mind when he's writing verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. Where he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he goes on this whole thing about how you're children of wrath and all this stuff. And he says, like the rest of mankind. I feel like like the rest of mankind would be a way well, to think, refer to the Gentiles. Well, I think this is important. When you read through Ephesians 1 and 2, you'll see a lot of you, us, them yes. language. And I think when he says you, he's referring to Gentiles. And then when he refers to uh, us, he means Jews. So as for you, Gentiles, I think this is what I think. As for you, Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the kingdom of the air, the spirit of those who are disobedient. All of us also, all of us Jews also lived among them at one time, gratifying our our, our the desires of our uh, flesh. I see. Yep. But but and then that's so he's like no no, no. so like yeah he's you, like so it was you it was us and it was all mankind it was all mankind like <laughs> there's nobody exempt yes. from this yeah it's all encompassing but God yeah. yeah but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's, yeah. That's a big, that's a big verse. It's a, it's a big verse. <laughs> By grace, you have been saved. It's a big verse. And so, okay, so so everybody, regardless of your genealogy, you were dead because of this sin that ruptured um, everything at the beginning. I mean, and, yeah. and, the, and one of the biggest things that ruptured that he's picking up here is the rupturing between us and life. Yes. What entered the world when death ca- or when sin came? I gave it away. Death, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so he's saying like, so you're dead regardless of who, who your daddy is. Right. And now 
Christ has made us alive because he has shown us grace in order to save us. And now not only have we been raised to life, like now we're alive apart from our trespasses and sins, but verse six says he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So like that is where your status is now. Your status is not- In order that- Yes. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Mm. Uh, Yeah. It's such a beautiful- It is a beautiful statement. Sorry, I interrupted you. You Yeah, well, well, the point I was saying was like, because this is a big deal that this is where your status comes from. Because the whole deal is like, okay, so are you Jew or are you Gentile? You know, like, where are you seated? In what camp? And it's like, no- the mystery that chapter three says is that the Gentiles are co-heirs. Well, where would a co-heir sit? He'd yeah. sit next to the king. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are a co-heir. So if you're seated on that throne, it doesn't matter who you came from because you're seated with Christ. You were dead. Now you're alive. And now you are a prince with the king of the universe. So it doesn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile. And this is not from yourself. Mm. Jew or Gentile, it's the gift of God, not by works of the law or otherwise, so that no one can boast. Because we all, both Jew and Gentile, are God's handiwork, Mm -hmm. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's really significant because that parallels the way that Paul is structuring his whole book. Mm -hmm. That one line right there, he's saying, here, this is who you are by virtue of God's grace and mercy. You are one people seated equally by his side. And now that that is who you are, since you have been created by God, not just once in the beginning of time, but Mm -hmm. recreated new creations right now because of the blood of Jesus, you're also created to do good works in Christ Jesus, which the second half of the book is what? A whole bunch of good works that we can engage <laughs> yes, in. <laughs> which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's like the mis- the cosmic mystery of the entire universe. Like God had this plan. Yeah. Like if you read Ephesians 1, God had this cosmic plan from the beginning of time. He predestined all these things. And, he's like, and now they're all coming into Together. fulfillment in Christ Jesus. He's like, you know that big cosmic plan I had for the world? I have the same plan for you. As an individual, I have good works for you that I've planned before the foundations of the world to walk in. And what that includes is what we're going to, like you said, unpack in the last half of the book. And what do all the good works tend towards in the Mm. book of Ephesians? Unity. Unity. Yeah. Almost universally, every good work that's named here ties itself back to the first half of the book and the unity that Christ, that that Paul's talking about. Mm -hmm. Even so, just Ephesians 4, it says, (laughs) it says uh, this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah, he's got a hobby horse here. (laughs) It's like we are, because God has reconciled the cosmos, he's fixed the most fundamental rupture of sin. Yes. He's... He's fixed the fundamental rupture between us and our dead bodies and the God of life. Mm-hmm. Now that life and unity can go out mm-hmm. into the rest of the world. Our churches are changed. We are forces of unity in the world. He'll go on to say, even in about talking, <laughs> it's for uh, 411. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about um, 
swearing that's what i always heard it as as a oh, kid you know he's like is that the let, let no unwholesome let, talk let no corrupting talk yeah. come out of your mouth except which is good for building, building up, up as fits the occasion oh right it's not it, yes it's about how you use your tongue but but the point of it is to build others up it's unity yes the way that you use your tongue should reflect the unification that happened when you were saved okay let me let me yeah. let me try to state something really clearly here because i'm starting to see it so what we're saying is that sin the sin that crouched at Cain's door, you know, that caused him to murder his brother Abel, yeah. right? The sin that has ruptured everything. Jesus not only has forgiven that sin, but he has replaced our propensity to sin with a propensity to do good and to live and act in a way that will not create more division in the world, yeah. but will create more unity in the world. Yeah, you can even say it like a little bit more concretely. The, we have a propensity towards division mm -hmm. we have a propensity towards separation mm -hmm. we want to separate ourselves from the laws god gave us we want to separate ourselves from our brother we're envious of what he has so we try right. to take it for yep. ourselves by nature by default we're children of division mm -hmm. and jesus gives us a new heart a heart that tends towards unity mm -hmm. and in all things we do as we remember that that's who we are and that's what paul prays and he's like remember who you are remember right. what God has done for you out of his great love for you, then all of our actions, whether it's our tongues, our church structures, or our marriages, all of it tends towards unity mm -hmm. because it can't tend towards division anymore. Right. If sin in one sense is fundamentally division between God and mm. man or between our, ourselves and others, that is now no longer the, the, the way in which any part of our lives can contend, can... Yeah, that's so good. I, I don't want to overstate this. Okay, so everyone give me some grace here. But this is interesting. I've never thought about sin being division. But if you think about it, the like if you think about sins, yeah. so many of them just rupture relationships. It's like when I lie to you, yeah. right? I'm 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 creating a rupture there mm -hmm. between our trust, you know, our ability mm -hmm. to communicate, our ability to be transparent with one another. Like when I steal from you, I'm taking something that's yours and making it mine. I'm rupturing that. Like so many sins are just think division. About, think about the way that Jesus sums up the, the the whole Old Testament law. Oh, right. Love God and love neighbor. Mm -hmm. So when you disobey a law, what does it disrupt? Love. Yeah. Like it's, there is a, and then what did, in Adam and Eve in the garden, you have this relationship of love. Yes. That was disrupted. Yes. They can no longer enter into, there's a dividing line. Mm-hmm between the Garden of Eden, God's presence, and humanity. Yeah. Like even in the temple itself, even in the best version of the temple, mm. there was still a dividing line between God's presence right. and the rest of the people, yes. both Jew and Gentile. Right. Yeah. I think. And so, it, so it's interesting then that a couple of things then. So that, that temple reflection is really interesting because what you're saying, I think, goes in with what you've said earlier, that um, if we are going to have reconciled relationships with others, we first have to have a reconciled relationship with God. Yeah. Because that's the order in which it broke down, right? It first broke down that man and God had a ruptured relationship. And so if we are ever going to have right relationships with others, we must first have a right relationship with God. And so that is the the hinge on which this book turns. At, at, like you could kind of say like one to three are the, you know, the orthodoxy yeah, and four to six are the orthoproxy, what you do. And the hinge in between is at the end of three. And it's what you said earlier. It's like Paul wants you to just get the gospel. Yeah. He wants you, he wants your, your brain and your heart 
to just grasp what God has done for you in Jesus. And then you turn the page and it's like, so then act in this way, live in such a way that you're not ruled by sin anymore. How do you do that? By constantly going back to knowing what Jesus has done for you. Um, yeah, uh, here's the, here's Paul's prayer yeah, for read the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, mm-hmm. both oh, Jew and Gentile, man, yes. in heaven and on earth, <laughs> more <laughs> unity, derives its name. Oh, and name would be a, a unifying term. Oh, yeah, it's name, a name. Yeah, you, we, the clan, all these different family names, clan, clan names. Yeah. Exactly. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May There's have, the opposite of disunity again, yep. love. May have power together with all the, all the Lord's holy people mm-hmm. to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness mm. of God. Even that word fullness connotates unity. God has not parceled himself out. Right. All of God is yours. All of God is yours. The unity of yeah. God is yours. Yeah. So, and then you said this is the hinge between verse four. We're yeah. saying, now act like the unity of God is yours. Yeah. There's one faith, one baptism. Your tongue should reflect the, the unity that yeah. lives inside of you. Well, and to say it even stronger, it will. It must. Because God yes. has good works prepared in advance for you to walk in. Yes. It it must. It's It, necess- it necessarily follows. Okay, before we end this section and move into like the orthopraxy side of things, um, I, I just want to like ask this question. Like how does, as Paul explains it uh, in chapter two, how does Jesus dying on the cross and rising again and being seated with God in the heavenly places? The gospel. That's the gospel. How does the gospel do all this? How does the gospel make us one? Other than like, now we, I think that what we've said is it changes us. It sanctifies us to not live under sin anymore. So that way we don't act as disunified people anymore. So I think that's a really good observation. Yeah. But there, it seems like he's defeated something. Like he's done something to the powers of the evil powers of this world. And like, we're going to be told in chapter six to do spiritual battle and like, We've we've had the we've had our trespasses shown grace instead of wrath. Like, is there any any yeah. last observation we should make about the cross moment of the gospel? Well, so verse thirteen two thirteen is interesting, along with verse two um, six. Okay. So verse two six says, "And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places." So. In verse, the first section of verse 2, there's no reference to the crucifixion, just to us being raised up. And then in verse 2, 13, or 14, he himself, uh, oh, four, 13, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, who you who were once far away have been brought near mm-hmm. by the blood of Christ. So you have a reference to the crucifixion there. Oh, so yeah. for he himself is our peace and he has made the two groups one and he's destroyed the barrier. Yeah, so trying, and, yeah that, and just that's the, that's the barrier we've talked about so much yes. about in the Acts yes. story. That's 2.14 right Yeah, there. Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about that wall that separated Jews from Gentiles that Paul was accused of bringing Gentiles through. That's what he's, yeah. that's what he's referencing there. Okay, so you, you have here, Gentiles are brought in to the family of God, to the, to the chosen people of God through the blood of Christ. Yeah. So if we're supposed to be thinking about the dividing wall of hostility, the temple, all this stuff, how is anyone brought near to the presence of God? Through blood. Through blood. Uh, which it, it adds another layer to what happens in the Gospels mm. after Jesus' death. 
and the temple veil is torn in two. Yes. So there was a real dividing wall in the temple yeah. that separated the holiest of holies where God's presence was supposed to dwell from everybody else. And when Jesus' blood is spilt on the cross, that thing is broken in two. Yeah. It's really fascinating. In Luke's gospel, the first person to recognize that Jesus is God is a Gentile. Right. It's a it's a centurion. Yeah, I think Mark's too. It, is it in Mark's yeah, as well? I think yeah. So, so it, it, which is I mean, which is proving Paul's point here. Yeah. It's like as soon as that temple veil is split open, Gentiles' eyes are open. Gentiles' eyes are open. Yeah. Like there is because of the blood of Jesus, there is no more division. The mm. presence of God is democratized, right? It's yeah. passed out to everybody right. because of his death. The so formally, um in the old in the old covenant there were certain sacrifices that you would have to make if you had become unclean through any manner of things, sin or otherwise, if you were going to come near to the presence of God and for a moment enter into a pseudo Garden of Eden and yeah. heal that division for a little bit. There had to be sacrifice. Why? Because you had sinned. You were unclean. You need to be cleaned up. And that sacrifice provided a temporary cleaning for that that sin. And what Paul is Maybe saying here, yeah, okay, I was going to say, let's, yeah. let's put it back in the division language. Okay, good, good, good. So, because I was like, okay, I was like, why do I need to be cleaned up? What's yeah, yeah, cleaning? Yeah. How do you do? So, why do we need a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. If my, if what I'm doing with my hands or my heart is causing disruption between me and God and me and my neighbor, I need to come back to the presence of God to be made right with God, to be reunified with God and reunified with my neighbor, yes. right? So, yes, let's use the guilt offering then. Okay. Like as, 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 so um, there, there, there were some sacrifices that Leviticus prescribes that you do harm to your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? So you kill their cow, okay? And that cow costs $100, yeah. okay, 100 shekels. <laughs> and the, this, these offerings, um, you had to first make an offering to God for that sin against your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That relationship that was broken, ruptured, right. had to be paid for and right. fixed so you could be right with God. But that wasn't it. Once that relationship was fixed between you and God, then you had to go and not only pay mm-hmm. for that cow, again, the 100 shekels, you had to add, I think it was like 20, a, reparations, like a quarter, yeah, yeah. like a quarter. Like So you have to pay 125 shekels right. to that person to heal that division. Yeah, because you've ruptured that relationship between you and God and you and man, mm-hmm. and so repayment has to be made for that rupturing to take place. Right. So and get fixed. So then, what is unique about Jesus in the way that He fixes rupturing? Mm. That means, I mean, because I mean, Hebrew says it: the blood of bulls and goats were never sufficient to take away sin. And so, another way to say that would be: the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to fix cosmic disunity. Well, yeah. And I think in Jesus, and I think this is where Ephesians 1 comes into play for us here to be helpful, is Jesus is in himself the unity in what was disrupted between heaven and earth because he is God and man. Yeah. You know, he's 100% God, 100% man. And so he is the unity of heaven and earth that is able to then solve the disunity. Right. Uh, So like he is the, the crux where those two meet. Yeah, and so the, his very presence, is like, is it disrupts that disruption. <laughs> it disrupts the disruption. Yeah. <laughs> Two negatives equal a positive. That's right. So I, I think it's interesting that so you have Jesus as the unity. Yeah. But when he is killed, mm-hmm. that unity transfers to us. Yes. And I was like, well, I want like a reason. Why does it transfer to us? Well, I've given a reason. 
by grace. Yeah. You were saved. Because he says it does. Because he says it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I think that's good news. Yeah. I think it's good news that Jesus is willing as the most perfectly united one, the one whom the cosmos is unified under, is willing to be disunited, to be ruptured mm. from himself. From life. From life. He, from he became dead in our trespasses and sins. So that he could give his life away. Mm-hmm. In the same way a sacrifice was supposed to represent disun- like life being taken so that life could be restored or mm. money being taken so that cost could be restored. Jesus's unity, when it was taken from him, when he was disrupted and ruptured from life in God, it was given back to us. Yep. And the temple tur- curtain is torn into. It was a final act of unification that makes sure that we're unified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. I was like, there's there's something I'm missing in this whole equation, and I think that's it. That the unity of heaven and earth in Jesus was was dis- was disrupted. You know. Yeah. So that we, so that his peace, the peace in heaven and earth that dwelt inside of him by nature of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, by the nature of who he is, like is given to us. Why? Because he died for our sins and because he says so, because it's grace. All right, so we've we've kind of turned the hinge now <laughs> into the second half of the book, and uh, now we're now Paul is going to talk to the church in Ephesus about how to be one. Like, yeah. what are some practical commands of like how to be one? You've you've mentioned Maybe. one already, like how you use your tongue. Yes. Don't use your tongue to sow more disunity. Use your tongue to build others up and create more unity. And you just said that he shows them how to be one. Mm. I think maybe an even more accurate way to talk about it is that. Paul is showing, uh, maybe that's that's good enough, but it's like the church is like, it's not just that these are ethical commands you must oh, do. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. He's, sh- he's giving us a picture what a new humanity looks like, mm-hmm. a unified humanity, what it means to be transformed by God's unifying spirit, not just for our own sake, but as a signpost for reconciliation for the rest of the world. That's right. The church and Christians are supposed to be such superlative examples of unity that the people that are part of the disrupted and ruptured world Mm -hmm. would want what we have by looking into our lives, our words, and our marriages and our parenting relationships and all that. Because, I mean, the the rest of the world is very familiar with rupture and disunity yeah <laughs> like look at divorce rates like look at rebellious children like look at votes <laughs> look, look at the voting landscape um it's just a lot of division like yeah. people know that and so when they see a healthy marriage it's weird you know yeah. when they see a child respecting their parents and a parent loving their children it's weird and like that is the signpost that the people of God, yeah. the one church of God is supposed to be in the world. Yeah. You know, we're little gardens, of, gardens of Eden. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're yeah. so, in our marriages, in our workplaces, wherever we are, we're supposed to be living examples of new creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at some of those divisions. He talks about like the division between husbands and wife, right? Yeah. So he has this whole sections uh, five through uh, the top of six. Yep. Um, he talks about. Christian living in general. 
Uh, he talks about being new creations. That's that language comes from here. We've uh-huh. already hinted at that. Yep. Um, he talks about speaking truthfully <gasps> to your, our neighbors because we're members of one body. Uh, he talks about being angry, and the proper way to bring angry oh, is to actually bring right. unification. And like um, uh, anger should should be against sin. Anger should be against disruption. Anger shouldn't be just let sown wildly like oats. Yeah. Like I don't. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, well, so at the top of five, I just had never seen this. Um, or I've seen it, but I've never read it in the context of this like new temple access that we have as Jew and Gentiles. Uh, five, one and two says, therefore be imitators of God oh, as yeah. beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So this is like repeating the whole first half of the book, right? Mm-hmm. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Mm. So he's like, in this new temple that Jews and Gentiles can now be a part of past the dividing wall of hostility, in the center of the temple proper, what stood right there? It's the table of fragrant offerings. Mm. Like it was this aroma that surrounded the presence of God and like could be smelled for miles around the temple. He's like, that's you now, Christian. Yeah. You are now in the presence of God, seated next to him, and you give off a smell <laughs> like that's really good. Yeah, when we follow God's example by being sacrificially uni- un- unitive, yeah, uniting, uh-huh, yep. we are new sacrifices. Yes, we are being sacrificed daily, and it looks good to people. It smells good to them. Like It has the, the tinge of something attractive to the world around us. Yep. That's just really cool that's really that's really, that it just is, continues the temple metaphor it does which goes uh, there's a yeah temple metaphor it's crazy locked and loaded uh, i don't yeah. know what else to say about that he also goes on how this unity between god and man and mm. us and jews and gentiles also affects our sex life in five three yeah there should be no hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity among you and why because sex is a unitive act yes like the, like obviously adultery sex, is disunitive <laughs> yes like Sex should be a unit of act, and these people are going against that. Um, it's funny to think about uh, five four. Let let there be no filth, filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. You know, for it's mm-hmm. out of place, right? It's oh. out of place for you. And I I'm, I think immediately of like James, how yeah. he talks about can salt water and clean water mm-hmm. run out of the same stream? No. So neither can like. Uh, uh, like a wicked tongue come out of a clean person basically. And he's like, that's Paul's point here is like, not only are your relationships unified, but like you are becoming a more unified person. Like you are going, if you are being an imitator of God, then crude joking is not going to come out of your mouth because that's not who you are. It just, it can't like, it shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. But like, as we become more like Jesus, it won't Mm -hmm. like, and that's the point. It's like, we become more unified with Christ. And the more we do that, the more we just end up obeying these commands yes. because we just become more united. Even uh, even verse 18, he talks about being drunk. Mm. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. <laughs> yeah. And what, and again, be what? Filled. Yeah. It's, it's all a, the fullness of God. All the, be filled with the fullness of God. Why don't you get drunk? Because the Bible says not to. No. No. Because there's a better way to be filled. Because Yeah, because there's a better way to be filled and because you were meant to be one with the Lord. Mm. 
Like you, the unity that you have with God should lend itself to a unity in the way that you consume alcohol. Yeah. And when you get drunk, you're breaking the unity that God has designed for you to enjoy in alcohol or abstain from alcohol or whatever you do. Right. Do it all for the glory of God. <laughs> yeah. But the point is there is a unity that's supposed to drive even the stuff we put in our mouth. And often we work contrary to that. Yep. And what I love about this is normally the last half of the book of Ephesians or any ethical command is yeah. do this because the Bible says so. Right. What I love that Paul does for us, he says, man, there are reasons why you do this. It's not just do it because I said so. It's do this because this is who you are. Mm-hmm. This is what I've died so that you could be. This is the spirit that I put inside you. This is where you're going. There's going to be one heaven one day yep. and we're all going to be there and it's going to be awesome. So act like that's going to be true. Yes. I think that's culminated in the mystery of marriage that he talks about mm-hmm. in chapter five, where he's like, even the the relationship of marriage that's so prone to disruption and division, uh, that is actually a picture of Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. It's like, because at the end of the day, like this whole one flesh union of man and wife is actually a picture of, G- yeah. what G- of Jesus in the church. It says, this mystery is profound. Uh, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. So he's saying husbands and wives are actually a picture of Christ and the church. Yeah. And so it's like, again, I'm just trying to amplify what you're saying. Sex. And yes. the two will become one flesh. And this is a mystery. And I'm saying it talks about Christ and the church. Right. And so it's like even sex, like, you know, right. it, it should be informed by being one with Jesus. <laughs> like our our oneness with our spouse should be an extension of our oneness with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like the oneness that Jesus we have with Jesus, the unity we have with Jesus, him being formed in us should affect every aspect of our life. I think it's kind of as we're just surveying mm-hmm. and popcorn yep. throwing out commands here, I think that's what we're circling is the point is from your tongue to your wife to uh, your mouth, like what you put in it, to your sex life, yeah. everything should be animated by your unity with Jesus. Yeah, and think about, I mean, Paul doesn't mention single people here, but he will elsewhere. Yes. And what does he say? You are filled with Christ. Mm-hmm. You already have the fullness of Christ. You don't need it to be completed That's right. in another person to experience the fullness. You are dignified as a person without another spouse, without somebody next to you, yep. which is would have been crazy in that day. And in Oklahoma, it's pretty crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's true. Okay. So we, I, we've talked about all these fractured relationships that by reflecting on what Jesus has done for us, we are made into people who now sow unity where there used to be discord. Okay. Yeah. So then as we've hinted at already, there's this armor of God section, which uh, finally, <laughs> finally we've gotten there. And I, and as Seth said earlier, I agree. It's just like, it always seemed like this strange addendum to the end of the book. It's like, so therefore put on the whole armor of God. It's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. But I think what he's getting at here is the, is the fact that in this new unity that we have now had, that we now have with Christ, we have left the old kingdom that he identified in Ephesians 2 of the prince of the power of the air. And we've been transferred and seated at the right hand of God who is king over all. We have switched allegiances. We've yeah. changed countries. And now there is some disunity that still exists. And it's between us and the spiritual powers of darkness. Yeah, the the, the fact that we are now creatures of unity, yeah. like under the unified banner of Jesus yes. doesn't mean that forces of disunity don't exist. Yeah, or won't come after us. Or won't come after us mm-hmm. or try to break us. They will. Yeah. So Paul ends by saying, okay, we have all this 
fighting for unity ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So make sure you remind yourself of what? The word of God and the gospel. Almost every single yes. thing he puts on here is a reference to God's word or the gospel. Which just goes back to the hinge we've talked about at the end of chapter three, where it's like, okay, so how do we do spiritual warfare? How do we fight against disunity? How do we pursue unity mm-hmm. as Paul would want here in Ephesus, as God wants? And yeah. it's like, remind yourself, like cover yourself, clothe yourself with what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Like, And even the armor of God is yeah. something that Jesus puts on. Mm. Isaiah 59, there's a prophecy about the Messiah and the breastplate of righteousness is actually something the the, the Messiah wears yeah. as he does battle against the forces of evil and destroys them finally. So the picture here is that Jesus comes to earth wearing the armor of God, wins the battle against Satan, and then like Saul does to David, but in a good way, <laughs> takes off his armor and puts it on us. Yeah. He gives Jesus gives us his helmet, his breastplate, like his sword. Like that's amazing. Yeah, and that's the book of Ephesians. That's the book of Ephesians. I I love it. What what are you kind of as as you as we close here, uh, like what's kind of ringing in your head as really good news right now, Seth? It's um. I think it's right now I feel con- just convicted <laughs> like mm-hmm. about the ways in which like the gospel has 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 put in me a need to be unified like my savior. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know it's like my I was saved by a, u- a unification so mm-hmm. my life should look the same. I should follow Jesus's example. Yeah. I'm just noticing the ways in which my life doesn't, doesn't. <laughs> tend that direction. <laughs> yeah. Which is a mercy and grace from the Lord because without that type of clarity I w- I wouldn't repent and ask for right. um, help. Yeah, and it's also good news that it's like, and by, it's by grace you are saved. It's not because you're really good at unity. Yeah, not of works. Yeah, if I was really good at unity, then God would love me. No. No. God has unified you, so be be a uni- uniter. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, really good. Yeah, I, I think what what's helpful for me here is like, I, I'm such a, we've talked about this before, like, I think you, you operate this way too. I'm such like a worldview person that like, mm-hmm. How do I synthesize what's happening in life? Like, why why is someone talking that way to their friend or their spouse? Or why are countries operating this way? Or why do I tend toward that feeling in my heart while when I get on Instagram or whatever? Yeah. And it's like, oh, it is. there's a spiritual force that's trying mm-hmm. to sow disunity between me and God, mm-hmm. between me and myself, between me and life, between me and another person, right? And yeah. And, I need to do battle with that mm-hmm. by reminding myself that sin has been defeated on the cross and that I'm yeah. one with Jesus, seated at his right hand, and that I'm a, I'm a n- new son. Like mm-hmm. I'm a yeah. son of obedience now. Like I'm a child of life now. And like I'm going to live differently. Yeah. There are good works prepared in advance for me to walk in. Yeah, and, and that, that verse right there, that, that, that's what did it for me. I was like, man, I feel convicted of all these ways that I'm not being unified, but... What's the good news? You have been prepared. I have been prepared beforehand to be uni- a unifying force in those places yeah. where you, I, I'm will noticing. Be. I yeah. will be. Yeah. By God's grace and God's power, <laughs> filling me with His unifying Spirit. Like as soon as you notice Him, God will empower me to fix them. Yeah. Because That's- the fullness of God lives in you through the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus, to be an imitator, to be a daily sacrifice. It's so good. Ephesians. Ephesians. I love it. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, If you haven't yet, please leave us a Mm -hmm. review on your podcast app. Um, If you need more free resources from Spoken Gospel, go to SpokenGospel.com. We give it all away there. We are 100% donor funded. So if you love us and you want to help us make more podcasts and resources, you can become a monthly or one-time supporter over at SpokenGospel.com slash donate. 
all and, of that. And next week. And next week is what, Seth? Philippians. Oh, it's yes. The, Paul probably wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians around the same time while yeah. he was imprisoned in Rome. And so we're doing bam, bam, bam. bam our bam, bam. first three New Testament uh, vid, vids. V- v- Pods? Epistles. Pods? Podcasts. Ca- casters? Ca- what? I don't know. Or casters. <laughs> <laughs> Some hip term for podcasts. For new terms and better jokes. Tune in next Tune week. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.